Welcome to another episode of Determination, Deliberation, and Dragons. Today is our final workshop episode. We will be workshopping my story, Peter, and everyone will be giving their glows and grows. We'll do our favorite lines, and then we have a little ending kind of segment where we all talk about what we've learned, what we've appreciated about this process, and uh, we hope that you enjoy this episode. And don't worry, this isn't our last episode. We do have one more interview coming out, and then we may have some other stuff. I'm not sure yet. We will see. We might do a season three, hopefully. We also have a YouTube channel with some exclusive episodes there, so check that out. And we also have a Patreon with exclusive episodes there, so you can find more content in both of those places. But without further ado, let's jump into the episode. story what um is your story about i'm okay <laughs> i'm forgetting the details but essentially this story is about a dragon named wave skimmer he's a good dragon and he lives in a cave in, in a series of caves under the ice with all the other dragons my head canon is all the dragons that used to be around when humans were around they went under the ice to hide and they've been there ever since is that kind of like How to Train Your Dragon? Sure. Did I want dragons in my book that is based on Earth? Yes. So that's what we're doing. And in this story, so Wave Skimmer's with all those other dragons. He's not really fitting in with all those other dragons. And one day, this creature kind of walks on into the caves. There's one tunnel that none of the dragons go through, the dark tunnel. And... They don't know where it leads. They think it might lead to the surface. It's possible. None of the other tunnels lead there. But Wave Skimmer kind of finds himself at that dark tunnel a lot, thinking about leaving, thinking about starting something new, um, about getting away from this, these other dragons. And it kind of takes this creature showing up to get him to a point where he he sees this creature kind of being abused by all these other dragons and... It reminds him of situations he was in that were kind of similar. And by the end of the story, he makes his way back to the dark tunnel with the creature. He saves the creature and the creature is ready to walk on through the dark tunnel again. And Wave Skimmer may or may not be. We don't know. Story ends. Who's to say what happens next? <laughs> Would you like to share the title of your story? Oh, yeah. it's. <laughs> um, I think it's just called, I think I just titled it The Dark Tunnel or Wave Skimmer in the Dark Tunnel. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. So, And what exactly inspired you to write this? What were you thinking about? So if you listen to season one, <laughs> you might recognize Wave Skimmer. I wrote this book draft about Pana and Wave Skimmer. Pana's a human, and they go and leave their village with their friend Wave Skimmer, the dragon. This is the same Wave Skimmer. This is like a little prequel short story. And I think there's a few inspirations for this. 
this was... So after Julianne's story, I was starting to think, what if we turned this into a book? And, like, how would our different stories kind of fit together? And especially, like, what would be the framework, like, around our stories? And what would we end our our book with? And I thought, like, it could be kind of a great... I, I originally had a different story ready to go. And I thought it could be a, a really interesting thing to end our book with a story about a dragon who may or may not be taking his first steps into a larger world and kind of finding himself and growing into his own comfort and agency and everything. So I thought that could be really interesting. And it felt weird. My first story didn't really have dragons in it. Um, and it felt kind of weird just telling everyone, write a story about dragons and then ending a book about dragons in our podcast without any dragons. And then the second kind of well, there's two other pieces of inspiration for this were... There's this TV show, Star Wars Visions, and in season two, there's an episode... I'm going to spoil things, Izzy. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, I don't know if I'll watch it anytime soon. Okay. But there's an episode called The Pit, and it's this really interesting story of these people taken by the Empire, and they dig a pit to find kyber crystals, and the Empire kind of takes their work as these people dig themselves deeper and deeper and deeper. So, like, the dark tunnel, the pit, they kind of come from these... I definitely got the idea for the tunnel kind of from that, but what fleshed out the tunnel even more was the She-Ra episode, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. I don't remember the name of the episode, but it's the one where Katra's, like, looking at the different tunnels, and she, like, chooses the good side again, like, at the end. Do you remember what season this is? The last season. It's when she becomes, like, when she joins Adora. Finally. Which one is the good tunnel? She's, like, looking at the different tunnels. I think it's called Corridors. She's on Horde Prime's ship. And, like, she's been talking with Glimmer, and Glimmer's given her ideas. Um, <laughs> and um, Katra, I, I don't remember if she's having flashbacks or anything, but there's this strong imagery of her looking down at these two different corridors. And it's like, oh, which one is she going to pick? There's one corridor that's, like, well-lit, and there's one corridor that's very dark. And I think the implication, at least according to this one YouTuber who Andy and I apparently have enjoyed her videos, I think the channel's 5 by 5 takes, and she was trying to... She, she was saying how, like, the dark tunnel, the unknown, the uncertainty, uncertainty is what... Catra ultimately picked, whereas, like, the white sterile corridor is more, like, Horde Prime. So I thought that idea was really interesting. So, like, the combination of the pit and this corridor's episode, I think, kind of made the idea of the tunnel come together. And then I just really, you know, I've been playing around with these characters, so it kind of seemed fitting to have Wave Skimmer in this. I think that answered the question a little bit. Yes, I would say that was a, <laughs> a good, thorough answer. Thank you. Yeah, I like the idea of the tunnel, especially with um, just sort of darkness and subterraneanness, kind of metaphorically speaking or figuratively going within deeper into yourself to find parts of yourself that you ignore or don't even realize are there. It's sort of wave skimmer, not just like physically deciding whether to leave his cave or not, but also deciding to look deeper in himself and, you know, maybe actualize parts of himself that he has, you know, been too afraid or just not ready to unearth and 
live yet is kind of what I am thinking the imagery could evoke, which I think is really cool. And yeah, I really thought your imagery was very evocative and suggestive of a lot of different things. Interesting. From season one, you'll have heard me say this a lot. I was not planning. I never thought of that. That's really cool. I just thought it was scary. (laughs) It is definitely (laughs) terrifying, but in a way that speaks to a primal fear that touches on a lot of different things because the dark and shadow and being beneath the earth has a lot of touchstones in culture in a lot of different ways. And part of that is seeking to look deeper in oneself. And I think that's part of the journey Wave Skimmer is on at this point is trying to figure out who he is, who he wants to be, what life does he want to live. Does he want to get out of the cave, yeah? Yeah, yeah, like the Plato Cave whole thing. Because he doesn't know what's on the other side of that tunnel. So choosing the life he knows or the life that he might be able to have. And now, on to the workshop. Coming to this story, I was already kind of familiar with Wave Skimmer. Uh, I've read uh, Peter's first Pana book. And... It was nice to go back to a time before the events in that book happened and, and to meet Wave Skimmer with his his clan of dragons. I think my glow was the way in which, Peter, you describe the wonder that Wave Skimmer experiences when he first delves into the frigid water on his first hunting trip that ends in his new friend getting eaten by mean dragons. I I really liked the way in which that whole paragraph that starts, the underwater world was remarkable. I just love the wonder that that creates uh, and all the different details that you go into, the colors, the formations, and uh, even the he could swim alongside the plants for minutes and still not reach their ends. I thought that was a really good way to show the reader how infinite and how marvelous this world is to Wave Skimmer and consequently how marvelous how marvelous it seemed to me. So I think that was my glow. Um, That and, you know, general, I know we talked when I went and shared my story, we talked about how I didn't really build up the world around my town. It was more like, they're in a town, run away. Uh, I thought you did a much better job than I did of creating that world building, including the, that one particular paragraph. In terms of my grow, I, I think I struggled a bit with, with the pacing of the story and, and a bit also uh, with Wave Skimmer. That's not to say I don't like Wave Skimmer. I, I think I, I do. Wave Skimmer seems very non-aggressive and you know just wants to live peacefully. I, I definitely feel that appeal, but I, I struggled to connect with Wave Skimmer on a deeper kind of level. It it felt like, for me, there was a lot of information about Wave Skimmer, but it, it for some reason, it felt hard for me to get invested in the character and consequently in the story. I wonder if also the pacing of the story had a role to play with that, because a lot of what we get of Wave Skimmer is telling us of Wave Skimmer's thoughts, um, and we don't really see much action. I didn't really see Wave Skimmer in action in the story. The pacing just felt a little slow. So I I think that was 
the, that would be the grow that I would propose is that um, just the the plot I wish had moved a, a little faster and had a little more show. Like I'd like to see Wave Skimmer more in action in the present moment in the story, and hopefully through seeing that I could grow closer to Wave Skimmer as a character as a character and become a bit more invested because I think he's definitely an investment worthy character. It, it was just hard to for me to invest. Yeah. Have some thoughts I can share. I thought this was a really good snapshot. I think that the culture and society that was developed was super well done. The world building was great. I could had a really strong sense of place. I could see it. I kind of understood the dynamics of this civilization. And by the end of the story, certainly where our main character fell within it, I thought he was well characterized which I don't think is in direct contradiction with what Julie said about relatability. It was a lot in this character's head, mostly, which is fine. Um, my one, I have some more I could say about the glows. There was a lot that I think was really well done, like the tone of voice and all that. But the one thing that I would say that I found a little jarring was the time skips in the main character's head, the first one particularly, it gets pulled back when that time skip comes back to the present. Um, but when it first jumps to the dark tunnel, I was a little bit like, wait, I thought we were looking at this four-legged creature. <laughs> um, I thought that was actually also, that was another thing I liked was it was really fun um, that it was described but never identified in our terms. That was very cool. And I think that I was just a little bit lost in where we were for a moment there. And then that's addressed. But um, the transition to it being the past, I I was a little bit unsure at first. The second one was I wasn't unsure because we had done like it's a little bit more introduced. I can give more glows, <laughs> but I think that that's a pretty good um, talking about the culture and how it's a, also that it's a theme driven story. Uh, I think that's very strong. It wasn't at all. Even if this is pulling from another um, story, the main character is has a larger adventure ahead. It was a good, like I said in the beginning, snapshot. Like it opens and it closes, and it's like the opposite of disjointed. Disjointed. I guess jumping off of what Caitlin was just saying, I really liked um, the way you, yeah, like the theme-driven aspect of it, and I also I just really liked the way I guess you. I don't know, it showed these themes. I liked that, uh, this is a little bit contradictory to what Julie was saying, but I liked that the dragon had a relatable problem. Um, maybe not necessarily, uh, not necessarily to say if he was relatable or not, but he did have a relatable problem where he didn't fit into his society. But I really like how you described it as specifically in his society and like he didn't want to i guess torment creatures like the others he wasn't didn't want to go with the grain and i don't know it's interesting to see the grain in another society and i think you did this really well in like it's not the same as um our i guess grain um but it's still uh, we we can still understand where that he doesn't want to go with this grain. I said grain a lot. Um, 
but yeah, so I really liked that theme, and I also liked the theme sort of going through it at the end and also in the beginning where he is he he's afraid to go into the unknown and is somewhat wondering if he should stay in this place that is tormenting him because he knows that he's safe there. I think that was really well put throughout the story because it's it was definitely it's we found heard it at the beginning when he was talking about the dark tunnel at first and then um at the end it was resolved very well where he decides that okay yes we're going to go with this option rather than the other option so it was definitely well played throughout um so that was my glow uh for my grow i i i agree with caitlin i think the time skips and the t- uh, and all the jumps kind of confused me i was definitely very confused about the beginning i also thought that i was i don't know i was confused why we were at all of a sudden at the dark tunnel so maybe a better transition there might help and then no i so i wasn't confused with the second one but it kind of took me out of the story i mean it was good to get background of i guess his character because it helps with you know the themes that you're trying to show but it kind of was a little bit jarring because we were uh, i guess watching this action of them hurting the creature and then all of a sudden we were sort of in the past and it kind of felt like the story wasn't progressing forward it was just one short moment that uh wasn't going anywhere for a while and so i guess i guess that's also similar to what julie was saying with the pacing i don't know if this makes sense but i feel like maybe if you had more action and then maybe go into the past um the the where he's um you know swimming in the water maybe maybe that would help um other than that yeah i i mean the transition there was was good um i just felt like it kind of brought me out of the story um but yeah it was a great story i really i really liked it um good job Thank you so much for sharing your story, Peter. It was great to see the background, having read the whole first Pana cycle with Wave Skimmer, to see where Wave Skimmer is coming from, since we have more of an idea with Pana and the village that Pana comes from, and how Pana and Wave Skimmer meet at first, but we don't get anything more before that for Wave Skimmer in that cycle. So it's really great to see the whole society and get a little look at the inner thoughts of Wave Skimmer, which definitely a lot of the book, I mean, the story is told directly through sort of the stream of consciousness that Wave Skimmer gives us. But yeah, I guess my glow would be that I really enjoyed the sort of vague feeling of terror when you talked about the dark tunnel. I don't know, it just was really pulling out those feelings for me. And definitely the larger thematicness of the tunnel sort of with discovering identity or the exploring the literal unknown, but also the sort of more figurative future and deciding your identity and deciding, you know, who are you going to be and what are the decisions that make you who you are, as well as the whole going against the grain part that Julianne was talking about. Uh, I read just a crap ton of toxic masculinity in there, but 
also just in general, um, you know, toxicness in society as a whole. And the society is built on strength and, you know, prizes violence and, you know, sort of authoritativeness in a way that is just clearly unhealthy as it's demonstrated in the story, which parallels our own human society to some degree. And, you know, you can extrapolate however you want. I was extrapolating with toxic masculinity since if Wave Skimmer was human in my mind, that's where my mind went. But also just thinking of how difficult it is for a person in that situation to go against their whole society just by being authentic to themselves. And the Dark Tunnel really sort of kind of signified that for me while I was reading of like the terrible possibility of being who you are, but also perhaps needing to leave the environment that you're in in order to get there, which is what Wave Skimmer possibly decides. The ending is ambiguous, I think. And on the other side of it, although I love the big societal scope that it had, and you're definitely a master at that, Peter, I think for the more action-y parts that weren't focused on the tunnel, that larger lens didn't really help me connect with the individual conflicts that Wave Skimmer was going through with the dragons, and the dragons that he interacts with are described as the red dragon, the pink dragon, the green one, and... They're side-supporting characters. They don't need to have names, but um, they definitely stand as sort of individual manifestations of this whole societal problem that we're presented with, but they don't really feel concrete. And while I was reading them, I got the dragons confused because I was like, who was that one again? It doesn't really matter because they're all just colors, but um, it also made it a little bit feel like Wave Skimmer, partly in a good way. It's like Wave Skimmer is not really grounded in the society and he doesn't feel, you don't feel personal attachments between him and the other dragons because he's become so alienated in a way. But he has also lived his entire life up to this point there. So it felt like a an alienation that could be, I think, defined a little bit more clearly and like, you know, maybe just saying like these are, I think... Maybe a few more identifying characteristics could be given to each of the dragons. Like, this is the dragon that has the scar from, you know, that time they got in a fight and he's super proud of it or something. Or um, maybe a, an instance of, like, Wave Skimmer's like, I remember that dragon was super mean to me at that one point. And we can associate the orange dragon with that mean action. And then Wave Skimmer thinks back to it whenever they interact again. But... In general, the dragon, the other dragons kind of form this mass of toxicity that definitely they should form, but in a way that kind of is undis- indistinguishable for me at least. But, um, it also does definitely tie back to the larger themes that you're getting at, which I very much enjoyed reading how those played out just in this little short few pages that we got. So for my glow, I think it almost, it goes all the way back to kind of what Julie said. I feel like you did a really good job of establishing a sense of wonder. I thought it was really cool to follow the dragons on their hunt and see this dragon culture. And then even though I guess the dragons didn't necessarily have personalities per se, I kind of just appreciate the simplicity of just saying like, oh, here's the pink dragon. Here's the silver dragon. Here's the green dragon. Some part of it is just kind of 
appealing to me. It's almost like we're just seeing a whole bunch of different wildlife and all these different vibrant hues. And I really enjoyed this mysterious creature that he picked up and rescued as well. And I thought it was very, it was a cool kind of like semi-twist and like a character mo- moment when he uh, rescues the creature and pretends he's going to kill it. But in reality, he spares it and becomes best friends with it. Uh, in terms of my grow, I think it's a very kind of like a nitpicky me thing, but I feel like I would rather have a different title than The Dark Tunnel. Because when I just see the title, The Dark Tunnel, without any other uh, context, without reading anything else, I just think of like White Room Syndrome or something like, oh, this offer is going to have like a really dark place or like a really like blank place. But you don't have that. You have something that's fully fleshed out, really well imagined, and really vibrant. And I feel like the story itself also, while the Dark Tunnel is like important theme-wise, if I were to read this and continue reading this, what I'm really reading it for is the interactions between Wave Skimmer and the little creature friend that he has. Those are the moments that I really felt at like whenever, whenever I was reading, I was like, oh my god, this is really cute and adorable and wholesome. I want to read more about Wave Skimmer and the creature. And when it comes to the Dark Tunnel, while well, I like, I don't know, I feel like the relationship between Wave Skimmer and the Dark Tunnel, what's in the Dark Tunnel, isn't nearly as uh, well developed, right? Like, there's a mystery of what's in the Dark Tunnel, but there's no hints as to what's in the Dark Tunnel, which could be the point. Uh, but because of that, I don't, I'm not going to turn the next page because I'm like, what's in the Dark Tunnel? Because I have no idea what's in it in the first place, right? And those are my glows and the grows. Overall, I really enjoyed reading the story. Again, I really felt like I was like on a dragon safari here. Instead of going in the order that I'm supposed to go on things, um, I wanted to bring up something that kind of bounces off of the ideas that we've been talking about, that maybe this idea of like um, the pacing and the confusion stuff might have been solved if there was just maybe like a clearer focus for the story because it kind of feels like it's trying to balance a bunch of different like baskets and there really is enough hands to like deal with all of them in such a condensed space anyway um i love um how like epic feels especially at the start um, because obviously when it's just two creatures looking at each other, it's not like the most epic confrontation, but the start was really, like, it was very cinematic and it felt epic, and I feel like compared to the first book, the descriptions were better and it felt like you, like, leveled up in your own writing and you could, like, see like the skill evolving um which is always a great thing and going back to Judith's point yes at times it's just sort of almost one-dimensional because um wave skimmer is just kind of thinking things and we're like uh-huh uh-huh um but then alternatively like the use of descriptions and emotions and stuff it did feel really easy to connect to the character um, even if sometimes it was a bit slower um, with the characterization and stuff. Um, and then I think that um, you also tend to create characters who just know things 
Um, and that causes me to ask, why do you know this thing a lot? Um, and I mean, we could have a really long discussion about how the dragons know that they breathe oxygen with their lungs, but that's beside the point. And, um, just sometimes the characters feel kind of omniscient. And there was even like a line in this where Waveskin was like, I don't know why I know this, but I know this thing. And I'm like, are you sure about that? And then I have some more thoughts if we come back to me. It's been really helpful to hear everyone else talk about the story because it makes me really appreciate the kind of themes and world building and ideas that the story is exploring and that, Peter, you're poking at. I do agree with Mel that there there are some points that were a little unclear in terms of basic logistics. Uh, I was confused about whether they were amphibious or not, because in the first water hunt, he's focusing on his breathing as he managed to keep himself from freezing solid as he swam behind a group of dragons. And I was confused because... I was confused about whether he could breathe underwater because I thought the first page said they can't breathe underwater. That also made me question, okay, if they're underground and all of the entrances lead to the water except for maybe the dark tunnel, surely there must be air holes, which is a very... I, I'm sorry, I'm nitpicking here. Um, I, I, th- those were a couple of moments of confusion that I was feeling, but those are small. I think I had a different reaction to the other dragons than other people, and I think that's okay. I didn't like the fact that these that Waveskimmer didn't know their names, or that Waveskimmer didn't say their names. I, I can understand why Waveskimmer might choose not to do that. Um, I think Izzy was talking about how, by not naming them, it, it creates this colorful mass that just looms ominously against Waveskimmer. But I, I struggled with it because they had no names, it made it made it difficult for me to see Wave Skimmer seeing them as people. It's not, it seemed like Wave Skimmer, like like there was no depth given to characters that I feel Wave Skimmer would have a relationship with, however negative. And I I wanted to see more of in time interactions with these dragons. Uh, like you know maybe they they turned a Wave Skimmer and and you know shoot a jibe at him like oh you feeling nauseous yet. Or, oh, this looks like the fish I ate. Do you think it's going to taste the same? And then Wave Skimmer can change scale color accordingly and respond or not respond. And I, I think I wished the same for, for Wave Skimmer. I, I wanted to see Wave Skimmer do less telling about how he was feeling and do more showing. Like, how is he vis- physically reacting to to the scene in front of him? Uh, is he is skittering back as another dragon steps forward? Yeah, I, I, I think I, I, I wished there was a little more showing um, rather than telling. Although, again, like having listened to what other people have been saying, I can definitely see the merits of being really internally focused and being in Wave Skimmer's head. Um, I think just for me, for someone who, like, I, I like a little more action. Um, that's not to say I do it in my stories. Um, I know I, I still do telling too about my characters and their emotions um, and I, I sometimes have to go wait a second I need to actually I can't say that Brutus is freaking out I need to say okay he's I need to show the reader how he's freaking out just saying that like yeah I like how we're in Wave Skimmer's head at the same time I was just thinking there's like no dialogue in it which is fine 
that I'm just trying to think of examples of works that have little to no dialogue, right? Even in the prologue. Because even when they don't have dialogue, they tend to at least show the characters uh, almost like thinking to themselves as dialogue. But I also, it's obviously, it's like a style choice for you to just be in Wave Skimmer's head the whole time too. So I don't want, so I don't think one is better than the other. I'm just trying to think of any, of like a example work that you can like look at. Uh, I don't know if anyone has anything in, in their head for that. The Starless Sea does have a lot of people not talking in it because I'd say there's only like, well, there's more characters, but there's only like five characters and at any given moment it's probably going to be a chapter about a single character in a room surrounded by books um, and it's just a very good book and everyone should read it. Um, anyway, to be on topic, I kind of have like a bonus compliment and critique. I feel like the compliment is more long, so I'm going to go with the critique first. Um, there's some repeated phrases, like the same exact phrase over and over again, well not over and over again, but repeated phrases, um, especially when Wayskimmer is examining the creature, and I only picked up on it because in Stephen King's book he says that the road to hell is paved with adverbs, so every time there's an adverb, I go, no, it's an adverb, and then you repeated the phrase with the adverb, and I went, oh no, it's happened again. Um, so, yeah, maybe try something else. That's not very helpful. Um, but going back to the point that was discussed very long ago about the whole metaphor thing, I think that it worked really well as a metaphor. I think it could have been pushed a bit more, just because it feels like it was only really touched upon briefly, but maybe I'm just reading it wrong. And like, I think that it's like, I'm going to compare it to the other book again. I feel like it's because it's subtler, it almost feels more impactful as like a queer narrative than the book, which seems kind of hard because that's um, what the first book is. But like, the idea of a dragon socially isolated from his community and then, as someone said, sorry, um, finding, like, freedom in being himself, um, like, that's felt stronger to me than a narrative of someone being accepted by their society for being queer and then running away anyway because of a reason I can't remember, probably dragons, and then having people hunt them down and then finding out that the apocalypse was caused by a modern politician. Like, it felt like the subtleness made it that much more impactful here. And, yeah, it was really easy to connect with Wavescrimmer, which I think helped with the metaphor, because there were those physical descriptions, especially at the end of, like, the creature in Wave Skimmer, like, basically cuddling, and, like, that was, like, oh, yes, happiness and warmth and love. This is the stuff that we've been waiting for. And, um, yeah, I felt like it was a really powerful um, metaphor from my perspective. I have something unrelated that's maybe a little bit nitpicky, but in the beginning, it's sort of like, oh, the dragon's don't know how to get to the surface. But at the same point, 
uh, you have the creature go back up through the dark tunnel, and it's the only thing that they don't know where it goes. So it seems to me like they kind of do know where the surface is. It's just through something they don't want to go through. But like I said, that's kind of nitpicky. It was just something that, like, my brain kind of got stuck on. That was really the only thing with world building and development upsetting that. And I, I agree with what Izzy said about being a little bit unsure about whether or not they're breathing underwater or not and all that. I didn't. <laughs> Truly. Um, yeah, I didn't really formulate a strong image of what how they're how that works. Like the food and the water thing is definitely answered, but the breathing thing may be a little bit less so. I feel like I actually kind of disagree with the first thing that you said, Caitlin. Sorry. Um, but I actually, I I feel like it's fine that you say that the dragons don't know how to get to the surface because I don't think it's specified that the creature definitely came from the surface. So maybe the dark tunnel leads to somewhere else um, where that creature could have come from. And I actually really, I, 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 to be honest, I kind of liked that line because I don't know, it just, it felt fun to me that this whole, I guess, this society has gone for so long not going up to the surface that they've just sort of forgotten how. I don't know. I always like that kind of thing in stories. Yeah, that's kind of all I have. I was thinking when you brought that, um, not knowing about where the tunnel goes, it's not necessarily relevant for the rest of you who have not read the first book, but I was thinking of when Pana meets Wave Skimmer in the first book, and they are in a cave that is close enough to the surface for Pana to wander into it and then come upon dragons. And I was like, wait, this has to happen after the story that we are reading right now. So the dragons clearly migrated up and discovered the surface and possibly followed Wave Skimmer, perhaps. But I was, I was just confused because I was like, there, this story is set in them having no contact with the surface, and yet I know that they get to a different point completely, where they are close enough to the surface that a human can stumble upon them by just going into their ice cave. So, I know there will be progression, and I don't know what, how much time is in between this story and the meeting between Pana and Wave Skimmer, so definitely it could be happening. But I did think that was an interesting narrative choice, that they are so completely cut off when I know later they are not. But that is, can be remedied in the rest of the story. I don't need that, that answered. Although I do think what Mel was talking about, a queer narrative, definitely. I think just the sort of more universalizing thematic nature of this story lends itself to a lot of different kinds of narratives, like a queer narrative and self-discovery is just such a big theme there. And I, maybe tiny vibes of like found family with the little creature at the end. And I like the sort of universal themes that I can feel from the story a lot. And the later story is more, well, still thematic, but different flavor with Pana kind of dealing with the end of the world or the other stuff that goes on in that book. Oh, that's a good point, Mel. I'll read this out loud. Um, Mel saying, I think that it is implied that Wave Skimmer's longing for a different life sets him up to doing what Pana did, running away and discovering a different world. So, yeah, that is very clearly great parallel with those characters, because Pana meets Wave Skimmer and they're like, let's go, we're out of here, because we don't like this place at all. 
yeah, I do appreciate the parallel with those characters. And um, Peter is asking, should we clarify what this book is for the audience? It, I, I kind of just want to jump oh. in like super, super quickly because maybe it was a mistake to submit a short story that has the same characters as a book I wrote. So just, I don't want to color your conversation, but just like really quickly for people listening, if you want to know what this book is, just listen to season one of the podcast. Um, I wrote a book draft about this dragon who was also in this story, and he goes on an adventure with a person in a post-apocalyptic landscape, and stuff happens. And that's it. You guys can go back. Sorry. Yeah, definitely the that book has much more of a post-apocalyptic feel, whereas this book has more of a um, just straight fantasy bend. Although there is mention of humans and bad stuff happening on the surface, it's not really clear what exactly went down to cause the dragons to go below into the depths. And I think it is sort of a City of Ember type feel where people change when they're stuck underground with sort of a literal representation of like boundaries to their minds and their society structure, their social sort of imagination becomes bounded simply by the environment that they're living in and they put imaginary restrictions on like you have to be this way you have to be that way and kind of forget the wider world exists and like the world is so big and full of so many different ways to be and yeah what julianne said about living and forgetting what the surface even looks like or how to get there reminded me of that does everyone feel okay? Do you have anything else to say, or should we move on? Okay. Favorite lines, people. I have one. It's kind of a short one, but everybody knows I am a lover of description. Um, the pink dragon sneered, his sharp white teeth glinting in the lava light. It made me, like, physically go, ooh! <laughs> Good. I could go. Um, I really, uh, this is just a part of the line, or I guess I'll read the whole line so it makes sense. A lithe silver dragon who watched Wave Skimmer and the other younger dragons on fishing trips spat bright white fire at the creatures, creating a small pool of melted ice in front of it that refroze almost immediately. I don't know, I just really liked the ice refreezing immediately. That was really cool to me. I just really liked the, uh, the uh, last couple lines are like, there was a pause, wave skimmer breathed. I know it's not like a super detailed thing, but I feel like he really like nailed the ending and it just feels really nice and sweet and calm and just how everything kind of accelerates and he gets very stressed out and now everything's all calm, relaxed, and he's kind of found someone or like an animal, someone to uh, accept him. Yeah. I, I said mine earlier. Um, I was originally going to go with, and then there was the dark tunnel. I was like, ooh, drama, spicy, and also a title for the story. That's where it comes from. But I think I'll actually go with the one I said in my first wording. Um, he could swim alongside the plants for minutes and still not reach their ends. I, I think that that's a great descriptor for how big these plants are, just like Julianne's was a great descriptor for how freaking freezing it is in the space. My line is kind of in the similar cold vein that towards the end of the story or 
just the third paragraph to the end, Wave Skimmer is deciding whether or not he wants to follow the little mooing creature, uh, which may or may not be some orange cow thing. In my mind, it is. And um, deciding whether to follow that creature into the tunnel. And I like this line, or several short sentences into a line. Cold. It was cold. Ice all around him, buried in ice. Dragons below. Darkness ahead. Darkness. Something warm was at his side. I like the contrast there. And the creature's orange, which is such a warm color. Which also just, you know, visual, imaginary contrast. It's good. When faced with a problem, he couldn't just push through it like a newly formed sheet of ice. When he thought about it, he didn't really want to be any of those things. But under the ice, being anything else was dangerous. I really like how ice is used, pushed through like a newly formed sheet of ice, but under the ice, anything else was dangerous. Um, that was a fun kind of double use of the word ice in those like metaphors. Second one's not a metaphor, but um, it's a simile and something literal. But the fa- the point remains. Um, I think that was a really fun use of words, and it illustrates a situation and um, a culture really clearly. So I thought that was a really fun line, and I paused when I was reading it to reread it because I liked it. So thank you all for your thoughts and comments. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, I'm glad we got to do this. I think none of your grows were really surprising, which was interesting. Um, I just felt myself nodding to like most of what you guys were saying. But I think your suggestions were not surprising, but definitely things that I haven't thought about and were really, really helpful. So I'm excited to, to go back through my story and w- with all of your thoughts in mind. And yeah, I don't, I don't know how many like things I want to respond to necessarily. For those of you who have watched She-Ra, like this is really inspired by the, the Corridors episode where Katra has to like pick between what she wants to do and and stuff and this story was structured very very differently and then i shared it with some people on this writing group that i'm a part of with mel and one person suggested like change things up a little bit oh the music in shira is really good um (laughs) but this person like suggested changing things up and and that's how that happened so I'll go through that at some point. And then all the little tiny details. Do dragons breathe water? I don't... That was just a... I think that was just a typo. (laughs) Or just something I didn't realize that I wrote into it that was wrong. So, I don't know. (laughs) I'll I'll have to go back through that and figure all that out. But, um... Yeah, no, that, that was really it. So, yeah. And then there's obviously, like we were saying, there's a book that the character is is from as well so listen to season one of the podcast if we ever continue the podcast i'm trying to finish book two before i go to law school so you'll see more of wave skimmer and i may have accidentally made an adult cow creature (laughs) in that and i didn't realize they were the same thing (laughs) so but that's about it 
Um, since this is our last episode, does anyone have any kind of final thoughts, things that they've learned, or ways that they've felt their writing improve or their storytelling improve from, or just things that they, they will think about moving forward, or maybe something that you just enjoyed about this process, if you enjoyed it, which I hope you did. I want to say thank you to everyone for doing this with me uh, and inviting me on. Uh, it has been a lot of fun. Having the motivation to finish a story, I probably wouldn't have written that story if not for this podcast, and it's one of my favorite things that I've written. So having something to spur me along and then having other people who also strive to put words onto pages <coughs> and have people understand and relate to them was also really valuable. And to see what everyone else did and see other people's writing styles was also very valuable. Um, and like anyone who's done writing workshops, like this is what a writing workshop is. But to have an opportunity to do that is really awesome. And I think that We've discussed a lot of really awesome topics uh, about how to show, how to develop a sense of place and descriptions um, and world building and characterization. Um, and these are just like overall terms. And I know that I'm kind of guilty when I'm talking about a story of just saying this insert name of literary thing, i.e. characterization was well done. Um, and some folks on this podcast are really good at describing how that's the case but to still to discuss these things and to look at them is is just a valuable experience um and i think to hear other people echo what you know but don't know how to fix sometimes and have those solutions discussed is really awesome too i'm not entirely sure if that made all of the sense that i hope that it did but those are my thoughts I, I would echo, as you were talking I, and I was reflecting, the same word valuable came into my head. Um, this, this truly was valuable to me uh, also because it gave me a chance to share my work with my peers, which I didn't realize how much I dreaded that until I went and then I went, oh crap, this is scary. Um, it made me appreciate the way that you guys uh, were very supportive as well as constructively critical and i i hope that i have been also supportive and kind and if i haven't i apologize um i can make amendatory pirate noises if that would help but yeah it was really good to see different writing styles to understand that we're all going to write differently and some styles some people might like better than others and that's okay and it was also really cool that everyone wrote about dragons. I know Peter gave us the caveat of you can kind of weave a dragon in and we all went, no, Peter, we're just going for it. <laughs> so yeah, thank you. This this has been really valuable and I I hope there's a third season. So I'm probably going to wind up saying pretty much the same thing you guys both <laughs> said. But um, so of course, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me on. This was really, really helpful for me in future writing and yeah i guess kind of what peter was saying about their story uh or, or just now it was it, i knew there were things wrong with my story when, when i went i knew there were things wrong with my story and 
you all kind of said those things, but you also gave me ideas on how to fix them. And I guess, yeah, ideas that I wouldn't have thought of if, you know, because I didn't think of them. I, I, I was, I, I, there are certain things that I always struggle with, um, during writing. Like, I don't know, I feel like a lot of the time I have difficulty with making all my lines that I write all fit together into one complete narrative that makes sense all together because I want to put in so many things but also these things aren't exactly um they don't come together conclusively all the time and but you all gave me so, uh, some ideas on how to fix that and yeah and let's see what else uh I think it was also really helpful to read everyone else's stories um because this i don't know i under, i feel like okay i feel like i understand a lot more how writing works if that makes sense um because i don't know one after reading everyone else's stories and then you guys all saying how like what caitlin was saying like how different literary devices were used and how they were actually used well now i kind of understand maybe how to i guess make a complete narrative well i mean not that i'm going to do it but i understand i guess how it works better and i think that was my main takeaway from this that really i don't know that really helped me so yeah thank you guys so much yeah it was like even from the first time we did one of these it was like really wild how different we all like thought because i don't really do fantasy in this kind of way like i kind of only read like urban fantasy in a contemporary setting with some magical elements which reflects in the story i wrote but it was really interesting to like sort of read a story um critically um with the way that I always workshop stories and then have everyone else um, discuss things that I never would have thought about and it was nice that people were like really engaged with all of the stories and stuff and um, I mean I haven't been in a workshopping like a proper writing workshop for a few years but like they were always my favourite parts it seems really self-centered. Everybody reading my story was the best. But, like, it's really fun to just, like, be in a uni class and get to hear, like, intel intelligent people's, like, opinions about your story. And, like, I loved that from the minute I got to university, so it was fun to do that again. Um, and just, like, spend time with a bunch of new people who also, like, enjoy writing. And to get to read like so widely although they were all dragon stories <laughs> um and i write all the time so i feel like i didn't like learn the most through my workshop but it was still like rewarding and i got to hear people's perspectives and like when someone is telling you something about your writing it's kind of hard to ignore them because it kind of sticks to your brain and it was very fun to just spend a week being like, how do you write about a dragon? Um, how, how does one do that? W what's happening here? Um, 
because uh, normally my stories are just gay people being gay. But this time, it was a gay person taking care of a dragon. Um, <laughs> there was like this pressure of like knowing that like people that I respect and also strangers were gonna like witness the story. Like when you send a story off to a publication, you don't know if it's gonna be published. You don't know if anyone will read it other than like three people and this time I was like it's gotta be good it's gotta have a dragon oh no um but yeah like I feel like we probably all have great affections for the stories that we wrote in this circumstances and like all of the feedback that we got and just like this whole experience like having an hour to talk about like a story that you wrote like really rewarding anyway i talk too much yeah i'm really like i feel like as a writer you just spend a lot of time just on google docs or on word or on notepad or like in your notebooks wherever the heck you write you you just keep writing and writing and you're kind of in a vacuum right you're just looking at your own words reading them to yourself and you're like is this actually any good is there what, what are the problems here what like, can i do better and it's very easy to get into your own head. But it was a really awesome experience to be able to bring some of my work for you guys who are all really smart, sharp people. Um, and to get feedback on it, I think. It's it's not just, it's like, it's, it helps me grow as a writer to see, have people from all sorts of different backgrounds uh, read what I've written. And it also just gives me some... Uh, positive feedback too so i can see how far i've come as a writer and how far i need to improve because otherwise it's very easy like when you send stuff to publications too as well uh, a lot of times they'll give very minimal feedback too or like a form letter so i'm just really really grateful to have this experience and have people spend time reading and like like uh, mel said like have like an hour long discussion on our work and I also thought it was just really cool how we all had the prompt of a adding a dragon to our work. And we took it in all sorts of different directions. We had dragons as killing machines. We had dragons as these mm -hmm. like puppies you kind of want to protect. You had dragons as the like vicious oppressors. You have dragons as the oppressed. We even had dragons as a hotel, which I thought was very cool. And um, I just generally think it's it's awesome to see some like. Uh, Something that, like a dragon, uh, be twisted in all sorts of different ways, but still be recognizable as a dragon. And I think I'll take away that even when something seems really overdone or done a lot of really often, uh, you can still find ways to uh, twist it and make it original and your own. And also, just thank you, Peter. Shout out, Peter, for uh, editing all these episodes and making us all sound legible, audible, and sane. I know it takes a lot of time to cut everything together. That's what I have. That's my, uh, that's my final words on this podcast. Yeah, same. Thank you, Peter, so much for doing the editing. Very appreciated by me and I'm sure all of us. And yeah, this was a really great experience. I mean, I did the first season with Peter, so this is not like the only workshopping that we've done together. But I've never had an actual creative writing class or anything, and the only workshopping that I did for my writing before was very just academic kind of writing. So actually getting something that I chose to write creatively 
and actually first sat down and wrote creatively, which I have the hardest time ever. I hate, hate sitting down and making myself do anything like that. Don't like doing hard things. But having, knowing that all of you are waiting to read my story and knowing that all of your feedback is just so insightful and was definitely partly helped me keep going to just finish putting the words on the page because I can definitely get to a point where I'm like, this word's not perfect, so I'm just going to stop writing until I get the magical inspiration to get the right word, and then I don't write. <laughs> and motivation was part of the thing that I got from this, but definitely just hearing even as a bystander in the workshops that we've done, learning how to think of different questions to ask about writing, especially never having done an actual creative writing course before just thinking of like how to think about writing is not something I've studied before so it was a great experience to get more into that mode although Peter and I kind of did that with their novel but to think of it more in relation to my own work is a, a whole new twist in the mind and I really appreciate doing it with all of you and I think we made a great sort of constructive growth space for us and I do appreciate sharing this virtual space with all of you. And Andy, who is not on the recording currently. But shout out to Andy for also providing great insights all the time. And yeah, it was great talking with all of you, just chatting. Yeah, I mean, thank you all for making my podcast sound so good. I do the editing, but like, what is there to edit without all of you guys? So... But like, I mean, very truly, the classes that I took at Vassar about creative writing, and Sam will attest to this, is we just gave each other stories. I don't remember any like discussions about like, here's what the passive voice is, and here's why to avoid it. It was just like, here's a story. If there happened to be something like passive voice, we just told people about it. You know, we said, oh, this didn't really work for us, but like this other thing, amazing. And I think also it's just super important, this the idea of sharing stories with people and getting their their opinions and their feedback is really important, but it's also super important to get people who aren't going to just like tear you down too, because I feel like that is something that is so common in writing especially, and I... I, I mean, for this story, like, I went to some other writing forum, and I, like, because I really wanted to make sure this was okay for this podcast, and someone was like, I don't know, like, Wave Skimmer, was he even a dragon? And I was like, really? Um, like, I know there's criticisms, but, like, some things I'm, I'm sure I did okay-ish. <laughs> and there's always this one story I'll remember where I was in one class, and, like, we would have to write, like, comments on each other's stories, like, we had physical pieces of paper. So, like, we gave our whole glows and grows, but we also gave copies of our stories back. And there was one copy of my story that I was just going through. There was no notes on it. I was like, this is a little bit weird. Like, I want to know what this person had to say. Halfway through, they just wrote, what's the point? And that was the only thing. So, like, having people around you who not only are intelligent, but also just uplifting and willing to, you know, just cheer your work has been incredible and like truly I'm I'm not like joking around or like pretending I truly loved all of your stories am I easily pleased 
yes, I think so. As a Star Wars prequels fan, sure. But <laughs> <laughs> like genuinely, I really loved all of your stories. And it was just so, so great getting to do this with all of you. And I think, you know, listeners, like this is this is one of the best ways to just improve your writing and you know, just share share your writing with people who are who are good and smart. Yeah, thank you, Peter and Izzy, again for organizing the podcast. It's been really fun. One more thing that I want to say. I think we've also showed that anyone who writes can be a writer. It doesn't have to be what you do. It can be what you do, but it doesn't have to be. I'm an environmental scientist by trade, but I've been a writer for... 10 years now on and off um and if you spend time writing then you're a writer that's what i wanted to say yeah i don't think any of us are published and like you know caitlin's a scientist julianne was saying she's a scientist you know i'm going to law school so i know we have like two graduate english people here but briefly I have a story on a website that's like a literary like website called the High Central View. Um, I have been published in like a zine, which we have established not many people know what it is. There was just a book of stuff about um, rich family relationships, and I wrote a short story, and then everyone was like, wow, I really like this character, and I was like, thank you. And then I also gave them a comic for their second issue, which is being published currently and then um i was in a zine which was way shorter which was also just about queer experiences um so like yeah i've been in a bunch of things that like they're not traditionally published in any way but they're like indie published things but i would consider like this to be like a form of publishing because it's literally like putting work out there for people to like listen to as like a mini audiobook um i don't know there's like some murky waters there but like what is published <laughs> if you write a five word fan fiction put it on tumblr is that being published probably not um but yeah like we're not technically like authors but we've all authored stories that we're like proud of sorry i co-opted this conversation <laughs> And maybe we'll all publish these stories together. <laughs> maybe, maybe not pushing anyone. That's I don't know. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Again, you can find exclusive content on our YouTube channel and on our Patreon. And you can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. And that's about it. Thank you so much for joining us on this adventure. I really appreciate it. I know everyone else does as well. And remember, don't let the day drag on.
Okay. Unless anyone else has anything, we can probably end it. No! Applause for everyone. Don't end it! But also, yes, applause. Thank you, everyone. And silent clapping. Yeah, the, record, the clapping on audio is not... <laughs> it's it's silent clapping. It's it's the motion of clapping. It's the idea. It's it's the concept of clapping. No, I clapped, Peter. Clapping. You're gonna have to edit it. <laughs> I feel like you usually do like a few like clapping or like hit, table hitting. Andy too, a little bit. <coughs> so it's the the English PhD and the the English MFA that are, are causing all the ruckus. I'm recognizing, like, the ambient noises in all of your recordings through this. There's gonna be a fish tank this time, maybe.